and welcome to the conversation. Mini. I'm Heil Russell. I'm Jeff Onan. Hey, hey, Jeff Onan. We're here again. Yeah. On, on a conversation branded podcast. But this time we're, we're going to be discussing pirates in a different medium. Uh, we're we're going to be discussing the five Pirates of the Caribbean films from what 2003 to, to 2000 was it 17 i i don't i don't know i don't know the actual range of releases here but from the early 2000s to sometime in the trump administration and uh if you had asked me a few months ago hey heil gonna do a conversation about the pirates of the caribbean movies i'd be like no fuck you what i'm not gonna do that why would i do that i uh, wouldn't even do an oops all tangents about that because why and then it's amazing how rapidly your life changes e3 this year we learned that rare had collaborated with disney to do a big crossover in sea of thieves and here we are and all, all of a sudden the five pirates of the caribbean movies have taken on the same level of canonicity Arguably that the arcade Donkey Kong trilogy has as far as DK Vine's understanding of the Donkey Kong universe. So I was like, uh, you know, it'd be fun before we do our conversation about the A Pirate's Life crossover. If we would uh, carve some time out of our busy schedule and discuss the five Pirates of the Caribbean movies in in brief detail, like we're not going to go movie by movie uh well, in this episode we're gonna be di- this is part one of our look on stranger tides where we'll be discussing the christian missionary and his ro- no we're not gonna be doing that that's that's stupid we're just gonna we're gonna be giving our brief thoughts on all five and the film franchise as a whole and we're not gonna be giving any spoilers for a pirate's life either so if you haven't experienced that in sea of thieves don't worry, I'm not done with it either. We're not going to spoil it. But we are spoiling these five movies. But who the fuck cares? Most of them are old. So why do you care about spoilers? So overall, Jeff, I have to say, I didn't outright hate these movies. Uh, <laughs> put that on the poster. I, I, I found things to like in every movie, honestly. Uh, and, and I, I was mostly engaged. There was only a few times where I was like checking my phone or checking the time, being like, how long is this movie? Two and a half hours. Oh they, my God. They are long. I'll give them that. I, I like these movies and I think we're going to find that I probably like them more than you do, but probably, I, I yeah. will agree. They are long and some of them are a lot longer than they need to be. I felt it with the second one, the the length, the runtime. I was checking it. I because I, I was watching them on Disney Plus, except for the fourth one, which I uh, rented on Amazon Prime Video. My good friend Jeff Bezos cut me a deal, and I was checking the the runtime on the second one because I was like, well, surely it must be nearing its end. And then I was gobsmacked, Jeff, gobsmacked at how much time I had left. But um. Yeah, they, they remind me a lot of every 2000s aughts era blockbuster, like the, the pre-MCU superhero movies, those early CGI tentpoles, where all of a sudden these studios and filmmakers could really just do whatever they wanted as far as story goes. You weren't really limited by the technology. Uh, the presentation, sure, because a lot of the early CGI is rough, but... 
that that really led to kind of an overindulgence in storytelling and I think led to a lot of these movies feeling weightless and uh, not, not the pirates movies necessarily, but just movies of this era. They really just feel kind of like empty zero calorie affairs uh, in both action and act storytelling consequences. So, you know, seeing them all for the first time though, I, I kept that in mind and I saw how, especially like the first one sort of transcends the pratfalls that films would fall into of this era and i can see a lot of the dna of pirates and pirate mythology and popular culture Uh, i can see how it's evolved out of these movies over the last two decades like tropes and stuff that i'm and everybody's familiar with it's like oh they probably got it from this and so it's kind of like filling out my educational gaps as far as pirates go because it's kind of ridiculous i haven't seen these movies considering how much i do love pirates but as i've already expressed on the podcast part of the reason was because i associated them with a past failed romantic endeavor and so it it was kind of like oh i'm gonna stay away from those you got davy jones you you uh you you were kind of um Davy Jones style, like you locked your heart in a chest and you said, I'm never, I'm never <laughs> right. going to watch these movies. And, and then, you know, I think this opportunity, Jack Sparrow and crew and Sea of Thieves gave me the chance to re-examine it. And I was like, I'm not still hung up on that relationship. Why am I keeping my distance? Just out of tradition at this point. So I uh, went for it. I wanted to say, you talk about that kind of era of films. And I, yeah. so I have a thought that is kind of broadly about all the films. So I think it's a good time to share it. And that is just that, uh, you know, before we get into the specific films, but what I like mostly about these films on the whole and, and the ones that I like least are the ones that achieve this the least successfully. But what I like is, uh, one, there's a kind of classic pulpy adventure feel to them that you don't get in most blockbusters, either of the era or of today, especially today. Where, like, I think that the evolution of the blockbuster of today is, is a very far from this type of movie that The Curse of the Black Pearl is. And I think that if they made this movie today, it would be full of, like, top 40 hits from the 80s. And, uh, <laughs> and, and but there's a there's an adventure feel to it that is different from other action films. It's more Indiana Jones uh, than yeah. it is, you know, Iron Man. And, it, and, it, and like... That you know, Brendan Fraser's The Mummy, uh, you know those kinds yeah, of movies. Yeah. Those kinds of movies that I don't think they make anymore. And uh, there's like an earnestness to it, even though it is very over the top and and at times bordering on slapstick. But there's like an earnestness to its uh, presentation, the orchestral soundtrack and and iconic theme music and stuff that modern movies just don't really do. Uh, and um, even I saw the latest one in the theater in 2017, and I was like, it's not the best movie in the world, and we'll talk about it, but uh, it was intensely refreshing, even as a bad Pirates of the Caribbean movie, uh, very refreshing compared to anything else I had seen in the theater recently. Uh, so that's what I like about them. They, they represent almost a kind of dead genre of adventure films. I think where the franchise goes astray for me is 
if it, it was more like the original Indiana Jones trilogy and less Brendan Fraser's The Mummy, um, that would be a good thing. I think it falls somewhere in the middle between those two extremes as far as schlock goes. Um, and I, I think where it, where it does kind of trip over itself is when it lets its overindulgences run amok. And, um, it, it kind of like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull did, you know, as far as, uh, Indiana Jones goes. But, um, it, it felt too much like Indiana Jones at times too, paradoxically. It needed to be its own thing. And I think the later films, especially, they very much felt like they were built on that Indiana Jones template where it was like, we need a MacGuffin, a magical, mystical MacGuffin. And this is what the characters are, are searching for. And that, that can like guide you a little bit of the way, but it just, it, it, they felt less like pirate movies and more like Indiana Jones, who's sometimes on a boat. Anyway, let, let, let's, let's go beat yep. by beat here and, and discuss them. Um, now, Curse of the Black Pearl, aka the first one, probably the best. I, I don't think anybody's in disagreement there. This felt like from a pure, oh, this was definitely fresh at the time standpoint. Uh, but also just as far as how it treated the characters, how it treated the plot, everything was still relatively low stakes as far as elements they're bringing in. I, I like most of the characters, including Jack Sparrow here. It, it It's kind of like before the success, before they knew these movies were going to be successful, they had this. And it worked because they didn't have any preconceived notions of what these movies needed to be or what they needed to focus on, if that makes any sense. I liked Jack Sparrow. I liked um, what Orlando Bloom. What, what's his name? Will. Uh, Will Turner. Will Turner. Yeah. Uh, I liked Kira Knightley. What's her, what's, Elizabeth, what's her name? Eliz- Elizabeth Swan. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I liked all these characters, uh, and I thought Barbosa made for an intriguing villain, uh, and I liked the the overall plot of the, the cursed crew of the Black Pearl, like Jack Sparrow had been mutinied against, and I don't know, there, there, there was a lot to sink your teeth into, and I think all around, it's the best screenplay, it's the best produced I have very few actual complaints about this movie. I'll say, shockingly, the CGI holds up enough. Like, you can tell that the CGI on on the kind of uh, zombie skeletal pirates, you can tell it's of this era, but, like, not in a way that detracts from your enjoyment of it at all. In terms, like, even though you can tell it's of this era, it's not modern CGI it is it's got to be the best of that this era produced it's it's not brendan fraser's the mummy either though because that is just bottom of the barrel cgi of this era if anything about this movie wasn't going to hold up it would be the cgi and yet it does uh it holds up enough that it it's not distracting really at all it just kind of does its job it, it's good enough cgi and uh a lot of movies of that era like you said some of the mummy sequels the CGI does not hold up. And I think that if this movie had never gotten a sequel, this would probably be seen as like one of the all-time classic blockbusters. Yeah, I, I think it would be remembered right on the pedestals of things like the first Back to the Future, Jaws. 
Raiders of the Lost Ark. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like, this is a classic. And like I said, I, I can't think of actually anything I have to complain about, really. Uh, it's it, well done. I like the way it kind of eases you into the pirate life from their perspective. Like, everything is rooted in this British colony in the Caribbean and then you slowly have the pirates encroach upon it, and you then the perspective kind of shifts via Kira Knightley's character and Orlando Bloom, which to me they are they are the glue of this. I like even throughout the sequels, their two characters were the only reason I was staying mentally invested, especially when I just checked out of Jack Sparrow's nonsense. Here, here though, it's actually a useful tool as far as like bringing us the viewers into this this crazy world of piracy and and even things like the the mysticism and the nautical legends and it it was all really low stakes like there was this curse placed upon this crew that that's it like like there, there there's nothing beyond this curse that makes them these immortal half skellies uh and, and so i appreciated that you know it 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 all felt very much rooted in this real world that there, there's more fantastical stuff happening just beyond the horizon. And we're going to have a little bit of a taste of that, but we're not going to go whole hog. You think it almost is kind of like Raiders of the Lost Ark in that way, because yeah. it's not it's essentially not supernatural uh, up until kind of the ending. It's not like, you know, the Indiana Jones movies explore supernatural things but like the movie's mostly grounded my my only complaint really is and this is more of a complaint about the sequels like zoe saldana's in the movie and i was like i want to know more about her pirate well she's barely in this so that's one complaint but then she's completely just forgotten about in the sequels and i'm like at the time i was like what happened did the cannibals get her like (laughs) it's it's just not explained i i liked gibbs as far as, like, the pirate characters go, he was the pirate character. If Jack Sparrow was a bit much for you, Gibbs was kind of this this more grounding influence amongst the the pirates you're rooting for. Overall, just great cast, great presentation, great screenplay for the time. I mean, it's it's not Citizen Kane. I mean, it's, it's a blockbuster film. It's not going to yeah. be Citizen Kane. This was the only one where I wasn't checking the time at any point and, and was like... All right, can we move it along, please? Like it, it's it's perfect as far as you're in, you're out, you're entertained. The end. Um, the the only, the only thing I didn't really like about it was all of the references to the ride, because as somebody who never went to Disneyland or World and had no exposure to the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, I didn't know what they were referencing with the songs and the uh, like. I, I get it now, but uh, I guess, like, at the time, if you're making a Pirates of the Caribbean movie explicitly based on the ride, and, you know, the movies have kind of eclipsed the ride as far, far as, like, a cultural standpoint now, but I didn't I didn't really understand, like, the song Jack Sparrow was singing. I was like, and that's, that's the note the movie ended on, and I'm like, what? The, it just felt like the movie ended to me, like... Wait, wait! You forgot. You forgot to write an ending. <laughs> <laughs> something about eggs or something. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I, yeah, I, I think you kind of have to 
uh, incorporate the legacy of the ride into it. Um, and maybe, maybe I should rewatch it again specifically with that in mind to see if I think like, if I could take what I know about the ride out of my head, would that, would this be jarring here? Would I be confused by this or that? Because, um, it's kind of hard to remove that in from the context, but yeah, I mean, you, you have to incorporate the ride, but, um, you might be right that it's maybe inelegant or, uh, or confusing or off-putting or something if you don't know the ride. But yeah, so that's where the kind of height of the franchise peaks <laughs> almost immediately. And, yeah. And 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 then uh, it takes us another 45 plus minutes of screen time before we get beyond the cannibals. Well, okay, so, so Dead Bear's Chest, the second one. Now, aside from maybe the character of Davy Jones, in my opinion, this is where everything went off the rails for me. And I, I enjoyed elements of the second and third one i'm not one of the, those people who are just gonna like count cinema sins and say like oh this is a bad movie because i found 88 cinema sins and it's like no there, there's stuff to enjoy in almost any movie and and i'm always intrigued by the artistry behind it even if the actual story doesn't engage me like if i can't get invested in the world they're selling me at least i can like nerdy from a, a filmmaking perspective but no I, I i did enjoy bits and characters from the second and third one but i i think that you know they pulled it back to the future you mentioned back to the future earlier because they tried to make a retroactive trilogy based on a very successful movie even filming the sequels back to back like they did back to the future two and three and while this works in some areas i think because they thought, one, we've got to make this, this consistent story out of three movies, even though, like, we, we pretty much tied it all up with the first one. They, they did that, and then they were thinking, and this is going to be it. There's not going to be a fourth one. There's not going to be a fifth one. Like, this is going to be a, a nice and tidy trilogy. And so what do we want to explore as far as piracy, the legends of the sea, and and the answer was well, we gotta get get as much in there as we can possibly get in there, and I think they almost shot themselves in the foot it from a long term perspective because they really could have spaced some of this out to make four and five better sequels. <laughs> I think I agree because I think at this at this point every movie from two onward, every single one of them to me feels like they throw a lot of ideas at the wall. And it's like, oh, just cool idea after cool idea. Let's just cram them in there, whether they're yeah. elegant or not. And some of them are done better than others. All right. So Davy Jones, great antagonist idea for your second and third movies. Because for those who don't know, Davy Jones is... Because uh, he's he, the, the Pirates of the Caribbean version is so ubiquitous now, as far as pop culture goes, that a lot of people probably don't realize Davy Jones is actually a nautical legend he's a boogeyman he's kind he's kind of the seafaring devil so it makes sense to bring him in i like that they brought him in and i like the what they did with him uh i think it's an interesting choice i don't know if i agree with it but i think it's an interesting choice to marry him to the legend of the flying dutchman which is a legendary ghost ship uh has nothing to do with davy jones in legend but if you're gonna have uh ocean satan uh, you know, why not put him on the Flying Dutchman? 
Uh, it was a clever idea. I, I did like that. But then you attach the Kraken to him, and I'm like, all right, calm down. We've got way too much stuff going on. Like, well, like the crap. I don't know. And I'll add to that. It's not just Davy Jones is married, is now combined with the Flying Dutchman, is now combined with the, you know, the myth of the, of a Kraken and sea monsters. It's also the black spot. Yeah. The black spot, uh, from Treasure, I think originating from the, from the novel Treasure Island, um, but is a very common thing in, in pirate folklore and various pirate fiction. And in, and, and that is also a Davy Jones thing in this movie where, it appears on Jack's hand because he owes Davy Jones a debt. And then uh, only when he agrees to pay back the debt by paying back a hundred souls in his place, does Davy Jones remove the spot. Um, So yeah, you're right. It's, it's, they're combining a lot of stuff. And in some ways that's good writing. That's like reducing redundancies, combining things together in a way that like makes sense. Like why wouldn't that be tied to that kind of thing? But I think you're right too that they kind of blow their load a little bit if in terms of like <laughs> if they knew from the beginning this was going to be five or more films maybe they would have uh plotted it out a little differently there it makes the world feel too small to me uh by by combining all these sea legends into this kind of like one uh, incestuous batch uh, with with Davy Jones, and then to give Jack Sparrow a prior history with Davy Jones before the first movie even happened, it, it makes me feel like Jack Sparrow has already seen it all. Uh, there, there's nothing he can't encounter that won't throw him off his game because he's he's basically seen it all already, and that would be fine if he wasn't suddenly like so much of the focus of these movies going forward because the popularity of the character coming out of the first one, I feel like they recalibrated when they were writing the second and third, and then obviously the fourth and fifth, and they really made him more of a POV character. And he doesn't work as a POV character. He is a ridiculous uh, human being. And I, I like Depp's portrayal of Jack Sparrow in the first one, and he went a long way towards recalibrating the way pop culture thinks of pirates. But it, it reminds me so much of Matt Smith's Doctor in Doctor Who. Series 5, his, his first uh, series taking over from David Tennant, it was fine. He, he was good. Uh, he, he brought his own mannerisms and he, he, it was a refreshing change. But they wrote his character like so that it could also have worked for David Tennant's Doctor when they didn't know if he was coming back or not. They they came up with, like, right. the breakdown of the series. It, it, Matt Smith put his own touches into the character, but it, it could have been anybody that played him. But then, after that, they wrote his mannerisms and his quips and things. They wrote that into his character in the next season's. And it became insufferable, in my opinion. That That's really where, like, series six and seven of Doctor Who, I just, I can't. Because Matt Smith's Doctor, uh, I want to punch him in the face. Because he, too much, he's too broad, and, like, all the other characters kind of just, I, I don't know, they, they, they don't, like, hero worship him, because he does get some shit, but it, it's just too much of a good thing. I guess well, I'll say I agree that they go this direction with Jack Sparrow, especially in the later sequels. Um, but I think it's 
for the most part, not too bad in the in the second movie because I think you still have a very strong core of Will and Elizabeth, and I think especially in this movie, uh, they they actually get more interesting. Will and Elizabeth get more interesting to me here because it's not just like, um, you know, Will is hopelessly in love. I gotta save the damsel. That's the first movie. Yeah. Great, great movie. But the characters. Um, those two characters are basically just serviceable in their plot devices. But in, in this, they kind of start branching apart from each other and they almost like have separate motivations because this movie establishes Will's, uh, relation, like motive of rescuing his father, bootstrap Bill from servitude of Davy Jones. So now Will has his own motivation that has nothing to do with Elizabeth. And it's a source of conflict because he also wants to be with and save Elizabeth when she's in trouble, but he is now torn between the two goals that sometimes are at odds with each other and he has to choose and that they get interesting. And so in my opinion, they still is quite enough focus away from Jack Sparrow where he's not like the worst. And then they they bring in, uh, they, they do a really cool thing with, um, Commodore Norrington, who at the, in this movie is now like, a washed up has been and he like joins the crew of the pirates, but then he has his own motives to try and reinstate his status in the Navy, in the uh, like India trading company. So, so they kind of bring in even more interesting characters with their own different motivations. And they have kind of the new pseudo villain of uh, Cutler Beckett. And uh, like, so you have Davy Jones, but you also have Cutler Beckett. And then, yeah, no, there's a lot of intrigue. The problem with the movie is that this movie is just like all like setup? Yeah, and then the third movie is like really sloppy at paying off that because it also wants to add ten more ridiculous things on top of it. Yeah, I I, f- I felt like this movie it brought back too many characters. It wanted to bring back so many characters from the first Pirates movie, and you didn't need to bring back all of them if they didn't service the plot. Like. Uh... I'm thinking about the duo, like uh, UK Dwight from The Office, Rigetti, Rigetti, and and uh, I don't know, Burp Slap or whatever his name was. Yeah, they didn't need to be there. And w- when they showed up, like an hour into the movie on a rowboat, I'm like, what? It was fine. They were left in the past. Their story is done. We don't need to to, to catch up with these. Oh, they're, but they're the comic relief. They're like the C-3PO and R2-D2 of the film. No, they're not. You don't need them. You don't need to make them that. And maybe this is a controversial opinion, but I felt like this was really pushed over the top for me at the very end when Barbosa comes back, who died in the first one. And, and I was just like, what? Like, I liked Jeffrey Rush. I liked his portrayal. I really liked his character. But this is the moment for me, that the movies lost all sense of stakes and, and consequence. When, when Barbosa is just magically resurrected uh, by Tia Dalma and, and is just, he, I'm back and I'm going to be a, a character for the rest of the movies. I think it works. I think it works. And the only reason I think it works is because they're, they're very purposely setting up this ending where Jack is going to die and then we're going to have a kind of almost a heist moment in the first act of the next movie where we have to bring Jack back. But in order to do that, like if you, and, and and they didn't have to do that. They didn't have to kill off Jack, but I think it's an interesting plot 
direction to go down that avenue of Jack dies and we have a way to go to the land of the dead and bring him back. But it's going to, you know, involve I- intrigue and, and, you know, uh, it's going to be a whole thing. So that's an interesting direction. If you're going to go that direction, you can't end the movie on Jack is dead, but maybe there's a way to come back like that. I think that having the cameo of Barbosa instantly, it kind of, I think general audiences are not going to like a movie that ends with the main character dying. So that softens the blow because it immediately says, but we're going to bring him back. And that's going to be a whole plot. Like, how are we going to do it? What's it going to be like? I don't know. You'll have to tune in and find out and it'll be interesting. But like, you have to kind of set that up. And I agree that once you've gone down that route, maybe it kind of hurts the stakes for everything forever from then on. Um, but if you were only planning to do three movies, then I think it would have been fine. I, I realize what I'm saying here because Sea of Thieves is a game that's built on the notion of your pirate dying 30 times during a voyage and then coming right back. But a video game narrative is far different than a movie, a cinematic narrative. I I don't know. Like, this is where I kind of checked out and I felt like nothing really matters in this world. Everything is so elastic. Everybody will bounce back that on top of like Jack Sparrow having this crazy history with Davy Jones and and he, he made a deal with the literal sea devil and, you know, there's just, there's just too much. The, the grounded nature of the first one, the relatively grounded nature of the first one is just obliterated at this point. And it just makes everything feel so small. All of these amazing nautical myths are just reduced to happenstance and everyday encounters for Jack Sparrow and his crew. And that's where it kind of makes me just overwhelmed and not care as much. But uh, the, the third one, which is set up here, I don't like it as much as the second one, if I'm honest. I, I think part of it is this is where I also realized another problem I was having with these movies, at least the second and third one. And I guess the fourth and fifth one is that they're, they're all of a sudden like in, in Asia at the beginning of this movie. Uh, which which is pretty far removed from the Caribbean, Jeff. I don't know if you've looked at a globe recently. That part that part doesn't bother me. It's the part when they say we're gotta go save Jack, so we've gotta sail to the fucking Arctic, and we're gonna get really <laughs> snivelly, and 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 somebody's foot is gonna break off or something. I think somebody's yeah. toe somebody's toe breaks off because it's so cold, and it's like yeah. really you sailed your pirate ship to the Arctic. That's that's happened. Your problem with that is the same problem I have with them just all of a sudden being on the other side of the globe. It's that for a series of movies that's about the golden age of piracy and and old-timey nautical navigation, I never get any sense of direction or like we need to chart a course we we need we need to go through this perilous voyage. And I don't want this to be fucking Horatio Hornblower or or Master and Commander, but it would be nice for some of the adventure and some of the excitement to be just about sailing your ship and, and the dangers that that brought. You know, oh, we're in a storm now. Oh, this is going to be an exciting sequence. But we never get that. We just jump cut 
all the way halfway around the world. There's there's oh, no there's no weight caught, attached to it. The crew has caught a tropical disease. We have to start burning the bodies. Um, no. Anyway, <laughs> no. But you're right. Like like at, at this point, like it's too much too soon, especially for a series that went beyond the plan three. And again, they didn't know they were going to do more than three. But also, maybe you don't need the kraken. Then maybe you don't need X, Y, and Z when you you could have just as much excitement over the the rigors of sailing a wooden ship in the 1700s. I don't know. I'm going to say this. I actually like the second one quite a bit. Uh, I think there's a lot that it does, maybe not so much plot-wise and world-building-wise, but, like, I mean, there is a lot plot-wise and world-building-wise that I'm interested in. But, uh, you know, just aesthetics, just the the character of Davy Jones, the, the crew, the, you know, the effects work is a huge step up now and you've got these nautical crew members in there and the in the kind of character design visual design set design um everything about davy jones character is so creative and unique and fleshed out the, his, ma- his manner of speech the fact that he plays a fucking organ uh with his tentacle beard like who would have who who thinks of that who thinks of putting an organ on a pirate ship um and and it's like he's just he's so mopey and like his whole plot backstory uh you know it, it's it's all super interesting and i think that that second movie the only fault it really has uh outside of 20 plus minutes of cannibal screen time is that it's set up very clearly for the third movie and then i don't personally really like the third movie yeah, and, and okay, so Tia Dalma, I liked her character. I was like, "Ooh, this is intriguing." We've got this. Uh, is, she, is she does she practice voodoo or or what's the what's her? I'm not sure if they. I don't think they ever use the uh, words voodoo, but she's some form of mystic priestess in the swamp. Um, I thought she was interesting. I thought she was a, a fresh character. Uh, could could maybe provide you know a little bit of different angles and perspectives in this series. Uh, I really liked her, and then the revelation that she's actually Davy Jones' lover, who who made Davy Jones into this heart sick squid man, and she's actually the goddess Calypso. Remember what I said. And kept saying about how they were just combining way too much shit. And it just kind of made everything feel weightless. This, this is, this broke me, Jeff. This, this, this bit where Tia Dalma is revealed to be the goddess Calypso trapped in human form. And she was also bound to human form by the pirate council. So why is she so friendly with Jack Sparrow? Right. Well, this is another part. I I despise the notion now that retroactively Jack Sparrow has been one of the nine pirate lords of the sea the whole time we've known him. Yeah. Uh, it, it goes from that first movie where he's just one of the pirates there are in the world. He he's he's somewhat famous. He's not that like respected. He's just a guy who is a pirate. And there could be, you know, who knows where he is in the pecking order of pirates. Uh, his crew mutinied on him. He doesn't even have a ship. Uh, but he's pretty clever and you kind of are rooting for him to get back on top. He's a bit of a bumbler. He, there's an every man a quality to him in that first one. 
where you're like, he's Johnny Depp in the early aughts, and he seems to live a somewhat charmed life, but he's still kind of, um, is a bit of a fuck up. He, he's well, a bit say, like, well, uh, you, get, you get the notion that he, if it weren't for his like wits and like charm, uh, and the fact that he happens to have this magic compass, if it weren't for that, he would be nobody. He would just be yeah. nobody at all. But he manages through these these things to kind of put himself in uh, a, a position to be more than that. And now you look back and, in fact, retroactively, no, he is one of the nine pirate lords of the sea who who can convene and govern all of pirate life. Uh, and so is Barbosa, and always was. How does that even work, considering Barbosa was on Jack's crew? And like, I, I, I don't get why they would both be pirate right. lords. And 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 the pirate lords are supposed to each reign over a domain, and and like, it, you know, they don't really go in the detail in the movies. But the what in like the expanded work, it basically says that Jack is the pirate lord of the Caribbean. His his yeah. domain is the whole Caribbean. So what is Barbosa? What does that mean? That's ridiculous. Yeah. It's just the council of stereotypes. Like, there's the Frenchman who's like, wee oui, wee, oui, I am the French pirate. And it's just like, what is this? This is shit. Mistress Ching does not like this scene of the movie. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, it's, it, it, here's another issue I'll take. They, they filmed part two and part three back to back. It was all written out. And yet, plot wise, it, it feels like part three comes out of nowhere. Like, they don't, really set this stuff up that well um especially the pirate council stuff at all and you would think that if they filmed it back to back and they like wrote it all you know like with the sequel in mind that we could have like introduced some of these elements in the second movie so they don't come out of nowhere in the third movie and i brought it back to the future two and three but i think that's something those movies do very well where they they immediately start layering the stuff that's going to be paid off in three in two. And it, even though that wasn't planned to be a trilogy, it still somehow holds together because they did so much heavy lifting in two. Uh, and they didn't do that here. They, they didn't bother to do that here. Well, they kind of, the only bit they do is the, the speech that Calypso gives when they visit Calypso or Tia Dalma in the second movie, when they say something about, you know, she's telling the story, the origin of Davy Jones. And she says, uh, the sea broke his heart. And then, and then Gibbs says, uh, I heard it was a woman that broke it. And she says, are these not the same thing? Uh, the sea is cruel like a woman and, and it ebbs and flies, whatever. Anyway, and that kind of is like, sort of setting up like it pays off in the third movie where they're like this it was literally the goddess of the sea and it was also literally a woman it is both of those things anyway i don't know but yeah they don't do the best job of setting it up the third movie in my opinion is just too many things happening at once it's like okay cutler beckett controls davy jones because he has the heart so he's gonna wage war on pirates using the force of jones but to stop them, we're going to have to convene the pirate brethren court, which is a whole new thing. You're being introduced to this concept out of nowhere, even though we're going to have to assemble all nine of them, which could have been like, it could have been like an assembling the Infinity Stones. It could have taken several movies, but no, we're going to, we're going to throw the brethren court at you right now. But in order to do that, we got to rescue Jack from the J Davy Jones locker. And that's like a whole act of the movie. And and then you've got, like, Will's specific motivation to save his dad. You've got Elizabeth's specific motivation. And, uh, you know, Barbosa's. It's 
it's a lot going on that I think one major subplot should have been removed. I don't care right. which one it is. You, you know, I think probably take out the Calypso stuff or leave that in and take out the Brethren Court stuff or just just like focus in on a couple things instead of four and five things. Yeah, th- there was really like nine movies in in just these two. <laughs> and <laughs> that that's where I I get I, I'm just exhausted and overwhelmed and, and I'm just done with it by by the time it ends. And it's just like, oh, and now Orlando Bloom is the new Davy Jones like, I thought that was a weird ending for those characters, at least at the time. It's It somehow worked, though. I like that they didn't necessarily get a happy ending. They get kind of like a bittersweet ending. But but then, like, they also, like, shit on Jack's ending because then the Black Pearl is stolen from him again by Barbosa, and, and maybe they were, like, setting it up like, oh, well, the adventure never ends. Here we go again. Because they set up the Fountain of Youth, and it's like, Barbosa's got the ship. And man, Jack got taken for a, a ride again. But wait, look, Jack cut out the middle of the map and he's got the map. Oh, these two are never going to stop feuding, are they? And it and it's a little bit like he crossed me, I crossed him, he double crossed. And and it just it's fine. It's a fine ending. But I think the my problem going into part 4 uh which we're about to talk about is that uh to me it makes no sense in this world with these characters. For, for them to accept the status quo that is the ending of part three. For, for that to be the ending of the characters of Will and Elizabeth. And, and that, it, and they, they just like let that ride for like a couple decades in, in the canon. <laughs> uh, yeah. like it makes no sense to me that, that Elizabeth would quietly retire to the countryside, uh, yeah. to raise her child after having this exposure to the pirate life and actually becoming the king of pirates. Uh, and and then to just accept that no like will can only visit me one day every 10 years that's the right. deal instead her immediately she would be out with jack you know trying to convince him to help them find a way to to relieve him of the curse or whatever you know that which is why i appreciate the fifth movie in a way that nobody tends to uh which is that i think it's the plot that actually should have followed the third movie but Ah, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. I like the idea going into the fourth one that maybe we could just have like standalone movies now that aren't trying to tell this wider, greater arc. Uh, like, and here is a further adventure of Jack Sparrow set in this world. Uh, but they, they still they can't pull that off though. They they still have to like make some sort of grand narrative, and th- th- this is just it gets so sloppy as far as the story they're telling because. In part four, like, the Black Pearl is completely off the table. Barbosa's lost the Black Pearl. And, and now, like, it, it's... I, I'm tired. I'm so tired by this point, Jeff. Maybe it's it's because I had such low expectations going into On Stranger Tides. Uh, because I heard nothing but bad things about it since it debuted, since it premiered. But out of the sequels, it might be my favorite and I, I know I, I'm I'm crazy person here. Let me explain why it might be my favorite. And I, I think it's a combination of lowered expectations. And it's also because everybody involved in the making of it seems so tired and burned out and done with it that in some ways it helps mitigate the excessive absurdity uh, that is the natural inclination of these movies and so it, it kind of made everything feel more 
toned down as a result. And so I liked it a little bit more because this is, this is the one time Jack Sparrow outside the first one felt like uh, a character I would want to watch. I think they made him more of a, a heroic character here. And maybe you could chalk that up to character development coming out of the first three, but he seemed to be less of a twit here. Um, and I appreciated that. Yeah, I don't, I don't really agree, but keep going. Okay. I liked Penelope Cruz. I, I thought she was a good foil for Jack that felt different than Elizabeth Swan. Blackbeard, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if I agree with what they did with Blackbeard, but I liked that coming out of Squidface, McGee, and then, uh, the, the half skeleton men of, of the first one. We've just got, Blackbeard as an antagonist. I thought that felt refreshing. And had they just kept it as Blackbeard, and I realized Blackbeard in history was dead by several decades at this point. So they felt like, oh, well, if we want to have Blackbeard in a Pirates of the Caribbean movie, we've got to have magical elements. We're going to give him a magic sword. But I, I think you didn't need any of that. You didn't need his ship to have a flamethrower. Just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. You you could have just had it be, I thought Blackbeard died several decades ago. That's what the rumor says. Or maybe this isn't even the original Blackbeard. Maybe he's just appropriating the Blackbeard name and imagery uh, and just leave it ambiguous. I don't know. But uh, Ian McShane was, was, I think, fine as Blackbeard, even if he seemed like he was checked out. But again, I think that helped in the movie. Okay. <laughs> for what it was, for for the lame MacGuffin, Indiana Jones-style MacGuffin that it was, I liked the Fountain of Youth. I liked the twist that the Spanish just wanted to destroy it because it was this this pagan idol tree that flew in the face of their deeply held Christian beliefs. I, I thought that was clever. I also liked ambiguity of the uh, the mermaid plot like that that we're gonna capture a mermaid because we need its tears that was stupid but i liked that you didn't really know even after the movie was over uh what the mermaid was thinking when it came to that christian missionary dude did she really like run off with him or did she just drown him like what was she was she just uh, a no good siren all along you don't know and it's left kind of mysterious and i like that some of the mysteries of the sea can remain in these movies because they do so much towards explaining everything and, and making everything feel rote and just run of the mill. And so I like when there's a little bit of intangibility left in this world. I'm going to go really quick with my uh, thoughts here because uh, part four is my least favorite and it's not really close at all within the following. There's debate, um, you know, whether the fifth one or the fourth one is the worst. And I, vastly prefer the fifth one even though i don't think it's that good but i enjoy it anyway um but i'll say this here's the five reasons i don't like pirates four one i think <laughs> i think the visual tone and style is off for the fear series and it doesn't feel like a pirates movie it, it, it has dark lighting uh the effects feel different uh the effects feel sometimes cheap the whole thing at times comes off like a cheap direct to dv to direct to tv like spinoff uh in terms of the kind of presentation of it. Two, second reason, um, the series, in my opinion, is, uh, and you probably don't like this, I, I think, from I've garnered uh, from some conversations we've had, but there's a thing they do, I call them, like, swashbuckling set pieces, 
uh, otherwise known as pirate hijinks, which is these elaborate, almost bordering on slapstick, acrobatic routines, uh, the, the kind of action moments that are, there's a, there's a certain, uh, visual language to an action set piece in a pirate's film there's a there's a kinetic energy to it there and and there's a kinetic language to it and when i mention that i'm talking about things like jack and will having a sword fight on a balance beam sure. uh, that's it, or like jack and will and norrington uh fighting on a spinning water wheel as it rotates the fourth movie is lacking in them. It just doesn't feel like it has the action, the same action language as the previous three films or the fifth film. It doesn't feel like they're approaching it from the same choreography and from the same tone, the the tone of the action, the, the style of the action. It just is different. And I don't like that. Then the third reason I don't like it is that aside from Barbosa, who I really start to love going into these later films, because I feel like he's the only character that actually has, like, an interesting arc from film to film at this point on. Aside from that, every character sucks and has no (laughs) point. Jack and Gibbs and Philip, who's the missionary, and Serena, who's the mermaid, uh, all of them have no agency in the plot, and they are all forced along through the plot as bystanders to the plot. The only time they have any influence is when they're forced to, or, like, at the very ending... And, and but like the movie basically is not a Jack Sparrow movie at all, which doesn't have to be a bad thing. Other than they don't even have like an excuse to have him there. Like like uh, any any there's he has no motivation. He is a bystander. He's literally kidnapped, and that's why he's there. And uh and then you you know Angelica, which is Penelope Cruz. She's the only one who actually has a motivation outside of Barbosa who wants revenge on Blackbeard, and Blackbeard, who wants to survive by finding the Fountain of Youth. Angelica's the only good guy who has a motivation, and her motivation is to redeem Blackbeard in some kind of thematically Christian sense, which is kind of the theme of the movie, this idea of Christian redemption. And uh, it's obvious from the beginning that that goal is futile because Blackbeard is a bastard. And it's always obvious yeah. that it's not going to like work. Reason number four I don't like it is the presence of uh, what Chris Alcock and I have talked at the, about this in length, and what he used the terminology to me, pedestrian pirates, uh, which is real pirates from history like Blackbeard, in my opinion, just don't fit or make sense reference in, in this world that we're now four films deep of of establishing fully fictional you know, world building. And, and it just feels tacky to me. It feels totally tacky to say, oh, but Blackbeard from history is here. Oh, and, and for some reason, he wasn't involved in any of the previous plots, even though we involved basically a war of all pirate kind against the East India Trading Company and assembled the Brethren Court. Uh, Blackbeard was always along, but now he's here. I don't like it. I don't like Blackbeard in this movie. Last point. <laughs> Last point. Number five. All right. All right. Is is that I think the movie is too standalone. Uh, not that I want every movie to be like part one of a larger plot. I think that a, a, a film can have a beginning, middle, ending plot without like setting up a new plot. But it doesn't, in my opinion, establish a direction forward f- uh, for the characters. Whereas the first movie is a standalone movie. 
but it establishes a bunch of characters that you totally want to see what do they do next. Even though that plot is over, you want to see a new standalone plot, but with character building that carries over. So, so it, it establishes a direction forward, maybe not by like setting up the next plot, but by setting up the characters you're going to follow. And part four to me fails, doesn't do either. It, do, it, it doesn't set up like, okay, this was part one of a plot, but it also doesn't set up any characters that are going to continue. I think they could have kept up with Penelope Cruz. I think that her character was fine and they could have set her up as a sort of a, a, a Barbosa like uh, adversary to Jack that are sometimes allies, sometimes enemies, but with a unique twist on it because they also have like a sexual energy, but instead they don't bring back Pen- Penelope Cruz. Oh, well. But I mean, if they if they had brought back the Christian missionary and his mermaid girlfriend, I would have shot myself in the head because because, oh, my God, every single scene that they are in, all of the energy is sucked out of the movie and it slows to a crawl. They are the most boring characters in any of these films. I think what saves it for me is you don't know at the end what exactly happens with them. I, there, there's this kind of darkness to that plot that intrigues me more. And maybe this is just me transposing my own thoughts and ideas onto the blank slate that is these characters. And, and so, therefore, I'm getting more out of it than what's actually on the page. Well, Mitchell Wolf did the same thing. He said to me when the movie ended, like, the second he finished watching it, he said, so that mermaid ate that guy, right? I like that you don't know. And the the movie, like, these movies like spelling out everything for you. So I like that there's a little bit of a question mark there. That's what makes it work for me, Jeff. But I see your point. I You, you, you have perfectly valid opinions, and you have every right to feel the way you're feeling i just feel a little bit differently and i think your problem with this movie might stem from the fact that on stranger tides is a book that they purchased they they purchased the rights to to do a pirates of the caribbean sequel built on it uh it's a diehard scenario where all the diehard sequels start off as different projects that they then just put john mcclain into uh and they did that with this movie and so that's kind of why it feels tonally off compared yeah. to the other five or the other four. I think because outside of the first one, I don't really like the sequels that much. This sequel works the best for me because it feels different. It feels like it it's doing something uh, a little bit uh, askew and interesting. Yeah, I agree. I also think it has it has the same problem that a lot of the, all the sequels have of I said before throwing too much like quote-unquote cool shit at the wall and it's like okay we've got blackbeard but we want to make him supernatural so what do we do let's let's go with the voodoo angle he's got voodoo dolls is is that something he's got voodoo dolls and that's why jack can't escape because he just set jack's doll on fire and then he's got like the 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 bosuns on the ship are all zombified because it's voodoo and then it's like oh right and then he's like trapping ships in bottles but that's not really voodoo, and I think maybe you could tweak that and get to voodoo from there and say, well, this is not the Black Pearl. This is a voodoo model of the Black Pearl, so if you cross me, I'll smush it or whatever. Um, but they don't do that. And then they say, well, I've got a flamethrower on my ship, and I'm like, well, that's not voodoo. And then he's like, and I've got the magic sword that controls ropes of the sea, and that's not voodoo. But it's like they start off by saying, like, oh, Blackbeard is a voodoo master. And that's why he has all this magic. <laughs> and, I, and I'm just like, that's that's what you're going to do? You, you just got zombies and fucking voodoo dolls, literal dolls. 
that he can <laughs> poke and stab. And it's like, come on, guy. You're right. The fourth one is trash. <laughs> uh, the fifth one. Well, it's definitely the fifth Pirates of the Caribbean movie. I don't even know. Like, I feel like they saw the reaction to the fourth one and they're like, oh, well, I, I, uh, we, we, we need to bring everything back that people like. And and we need to, like, basically make a sequel to the third one while sort of acknowledging the fourth one happened. Let's have it be set 20 years after the third one. I, th- I thought it was curious to age up the characters so rapidly. Like, at this point, is Jack Sparrow 60 or 70? Like, how old is he supposed to be, considering he had this entire history before the first movie? And now we're at the point where Will and Elizabeth's son is, like, roughly the same age that Orlando Bloom was in the first one. Like, oh my god, you're just blowing through the timeline here. I think they should have they should have had the balls to make one of the main characters, like, a 10-year-old boy. Because, yeah. because I mean, one, that would be very different and interesting for a Pirates film, because we don't usually see any children in these movies. But two, it wouldn't be completely divorced from all of pirate literature, because he goes right back to Jim Hawkins in Treasure Island, who I don't know how old he was, but is, like, a child, basically, right? At least in the versions of the movies I've watched, it's like a child, and... Uh, so, you know, having a kid, a young boy on a pirate ship, and he's got the quest to save his dad, it could have been a new angle. Uh, but they didn't do that. They decided, no, we're just going to skip ahead until he's old. We basically want an, an Orlando Bloom XP. We want somebody who can fill that role and even look visually similar. We, we're, we're just going to get Orlando Bloom back for the, the prologue and the epilogue of the movie. And uh, so let, let's just find an actor who looks like him. And we'll we'll have him be the grown up son uh, that that we saw at the end of yeah. the third one by having such a drastic jump forward in time, uh, and then to have it that Jack still hasn't gotten the black pearl out of Blackbeard's voodoo bottle, uh, it makes Jack just a truly pathetic figure in in, in the course of these movies. In that, like he's he's basically still washed up. Like he has achieved nothing in in the intervening time between the original trilogy and this one, and and his crew is basically deserting him, and he's falling in shit and mud, and he he's like, I'm gonna give away my magic compass for one drink. And, and people complain about Luke Skywalker in the Star Wars sequels. Well, Luke would have never given up hope like that, but I can get where Luke is coming from, like, but Jack Sparrow, they just completely shit on here. Maybe that makes him interesting. I don't know. I wasn't interested by him. I I hated him in this movie. Uh, You know, when I think about details of this movie, I tend not to like them. When I, when I actually (laughs) look, when I actually look close, but when I think high level, you know, just broad question, what'd you think of that movie? I am like, oh, that was fun. I had a good time with that. And I think the big reason is, and, and, there, and like I said, so many of those little like specifics, I don't like. I don't like the villain. I don't like the villain's motivation or, or like the, the methodology by, by how he comes back to hunt down Jack. I don't really like that we have another Indiana Jones-style MacGuffin to hunt after. I don't really like that we have an Orlando Bloom XP. I do like that the new characters on the ship actually feel like characters I kind of want to follow. I like Karina the... Uh, oh, yeah. 
the the natural philosopher. Um, Karina was the best character in, I think, uh, all of the sequels as far as uh, the, the, the latter sequels, four and five. Like, she was the best introduction because I felt like she was a fully fleshed out character that didn't just feel like Elizabeth Swan uh, again. Like it felt like she right. had her own agency and her own drive. And I, I, I really liked her and she was the only reason I really stayed captivated through the um, Javier Bardem nonsense. Jack Sparrow, Jack Sparrow. It's a funny meme. It's a miserable time when you're watching the movie though Okay, so this this is how, like, stripped of ideas this franchise was at this point, right? So, oh, we need a MacGuffin. Well, we've already done the Fountain of Youth. We've already, like, blown through Davy Jones and the Flying Dutchman and all of that. Uh, uh, Poseidon. We haven't done anything with Poseidon. Uh, the Trident of Poseidon. Okay, that's our MacGuffin. Oh, let's, let's we got to get the Bermuda Triangle. We haven't done anything with the Bermuda Triangle. All right, let's get the Bermuda Triangle in there. Bermuda Triangle made... Javier Bardem, a, uh, well, I can't make him a skeleton man, because we've already done that. A ghost man. A ghost man who sails on Truckosaurus. The fuck? What the fuck, Jeff? Like, I, I... My problem is, is you know, well, one, I, I said I like Karina. I will say I don't like that she ends up being the daughter of Barbosa. That's stupid. It, it, it's just that kind of franchise sim- syndrome where once you're so far deep and you're starting to introduce your next generation characters... Everyone has to be related to someone or else the audience, maybe they wouldn't care unless they find out everyone's related to everyone. That's stupid. That's stupid. You can just have new characters. I and But like I said, I, I do like Barbosa's arc here. I like that Barbosa goes from, like, captain to uh dead to back and captain again. And then he's like, he goes from evil captain to dead to back and kind of a righteous captain with a cause. And then... He goes to become like a privateer who's given up on pirates, but secretly he's actually just trying to get revenge on Blackbeard and get his ship back. And then in this one, he's just like, well, I have all the resources that Blackbeard had with the magic sword. So now I'm the most successful pirate of all time. I'm really like, like him eating the, with a weird little like gold fork. And there's like violinists in his fucking captain's quarters and everything is made of gold. It's fun. It's silly. I like that he has a different character each time, and then it hit its limit, so it's fine with me that they killed him off, and they're not going to bring him back probably this time. (laughs) Yeah, again, like, his sacrifice would have meant a whole lot more to me had I not already seen this character die the first movie. I think that as, like, an amateur writer, as someone who cares about plots, and, and like, it, it, it makes no sense to me that they wouldn't pursue this course of action to save Will from his servitude sooner. Right. And and then it also, I don't like as the writer that so much of everything else that happens is not a result of what happened before. It's just, and now this happening. Uh, it, it seems to me that you defeat Davy Jones and Will goes into servitude as the new captain of the Dutchman. The very next thing that should happen as as a writer is you should say, well... Let's introduce a new conflict that is a result of Davy Jones dying. Maybe, maybe Davy Jones was, uh, you know, as helmsman of the Dutchman, uh, stopping some even more nefarious eldritch horrors of the sea from overtaking the world. And now that he's gone, we have a new threat to undertake. And in order to do that, we're going to have to team up 
with Will and his Flying Dutchman. And then, you know, as a result of facing the new threat that only Davy Jones was preventing, now we can then also save Will in the process. Like, instead, it's just like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and nothing is the result of something else in, in like, the way that a plot ought to follow. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, when I say that I found the movie fun... And I kind of could, you know, I saw it in the theaters. I'm chomping on the popcorns and I turn off my brain and I was with a cute date and it was a fun time and we're both kind of laughing. There's some fun, funny moments and it's and it has the classic adventure feel that you don't feel in in other blockbusters these days. And it has all of the the same kind of kinetic language uh, and energy of, of its style and format of action that uh, of action set pieces that the first three had it has the visual style of the first three and and all of those things that i don't like about the fourth one just like kind of high level things how like how it's shot how it's choreographed how the tone is the 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 style of dialogue all of it kind of feels right even though it's not good it's like they 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 didn't make a good pirates of the caribbean movie but they made a movie that feels like a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. And so I can shut off my brain and just be like, ah, look, you know, it's pirate stuff. And, oh, they're playing that song. That means that there's going to be some sword fighting. I thought by that song, you're going to reference Maggie May. <laughs> yeah, that song. Well, I will say, uh, if we're comparing four versus five, uh, four's entirely unnecessary, gratuitous revival of the Keith Richards cameo. Yeah. Is is just so stupid to me in part four, whereas I, I guess that maybe on some level it's stupid to have the Paul McCartney cameo out of some like tradition of like, well, we have to have some classic rocker, but it's still quite a bit more fun than Keith Richards cameo in part four. Absolutely. Like Keith Richards in part three, like, oh, Jack Sparrow's father is Keith Richards because, you know, obviously Johnny Depp based his portrayal on Keith Richards a little bit. Uh, so it was fine. It, it felt gratuitous. It was fine. It was stupid to bring him back, though, uh, because what you know, you, there, there's only so many bits of enjoyment to be gleaned from that notion. Uh, so to, obviously, I'm going to be biased because you know uh, we're both huge Beatles nerds, especially Paul McCartney nerds. So to have Paul McCartney in this movie telling a very painful dad joke. Oh my god! It was a genuine laugh out loud moment in the theater. Not because of the joke. The joke itself, obviously, even even in the context of the scene, is played off like it was hokey. They they really nail it because then they have the he, he says the punchline and then some guy way down the back like hallway in another cell in the prison just like lets out a very loud audible ha yeah and and in the movie theater when it was packed with people that was a laugh out loud moment for the crowd i i liked too that they had paul mccartney like talking about getting disemboweled uh and, and like asking for the ones with the softest hands J- just like weird shit you're gonna have paul mccartney say i think he's having fun with it he is he's clearly having fun with it but, you know, it does make me think then, like, oh, you know, what missed opportunities were there? They could have gotten David Bowie to play Davy Jones when he was alive. Uh, 
his name is Davy Jones in real life. That's a joke. But I, I would have loved to have seen more like icons from the 60s and or 70s. Could have had Davy Jones from the monkeys until he died. A lot of missed opportunities. They're, and they're all dying. They're all dying. You got to be quick producers of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies to get these cameos in before, before it's too late. Was it the fourth movie that had King George? I think it was because Barbosa is a privateer for the for the crown. And so they have King George, right? Uh, yeah. You remember that part? So they could have yeah. had that be like Elton John or something. <laughs> right. That'd been fucking awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Judy Dench in the fourth one, was it? That was weird. Judy Dench was just there and she wanted to fuck Jack Sparrow. And Jack Sparrow was like, gotta go. How am I not remembering that at all? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> when Jack Sparrow jumps into the carriage uh, and it's Judy Dench and she's like, oh, oh, my. Oh. And, and he's like. Ugh. Yeah, it's a bizarre movie. It's a bizarre movie, <laughs> actually. From start to finish. But, I mean, a bizarre franchise, really, when, when you parse through it. It's, it's, because I watched them all in a space of a week, and I don't know if you're supposed to do that, but it, it was like, it's like, I, I, I enjoyed elements of all five, and I didn't outright hate any of them, but I was exhausted and fatigued, and I definitely am in no hurry to rewatch them. I will say that so far, uh, in the Sea of Thieves translation of the characters and the lore, I'm enjoying it far more than I've enjoyed at least anything outside of that first movie. I, I like it. I know that you talked a lot at, at points about how, well, this movie overused Jack Sparrow or this movie did a bad thing with Jack Sparrow and now he's not as good. Uh, I, overall, in the end, I, I didn't think I'd come to this opinion, uh, but I actually basically just really like the character of Jack Sparrow and find him fun to watch. And I think that what it is, what it is about Jack Sparrow that makes him so enduring and, and fun to watch and why it's exciting to have him in Sea of Thieves is uh, that for Jack Sparrow, everything falls apart into place. Everything falls apart into place. It's a, he, he just goes like improv chaos through every situation. It all goes wrong in the way that works out for him in a thrilling fashion. And it's, I could, I know it's stupid, but I could watch them do that movie 10 more times. I'll, I'll watch it. Make the movie. I'll watch it. It's the, it's fun. And I think the more the series goes on, the more you have to turn your brain off to find that fun and just chomp the popcorn. But I enjoy it. But if you if you want more out of it, if you want you know a deeper, better screenplay and all this stuff, just watch the first one over and over because that one actually is good. Had there never been a sequel, people would be would have been clamoring for a sequel. So it's just one of those cases where we were damned if we did, damned if you don't. You're gonna be disappointed inevitably by these. And I think like as far as Disney's first dalliance with big action adventure spectacles, you know, cause, cause these movies predate their acquisition of Marvel or star Wars. So it, it is kind of like a dry run for both as far as uh, them, them branching out into something other than uh, animated family fair. They, they are what they are. I do appreciate what they've brought to the pirate mythology and popular culture. I, I think they've done a lot as far as that goes as far as like making pirates uh, 
appealing or, or cool or more romantic. I think the the concept of pirates from day one, from like the very first second you start writing pirate fiction, you're already 100% immersed in fantasy because almost everything we know about pirates is false. So like the idea of buried treasure, basically a myth. All of these things, basically a myth. It's all a romantic fantasy. So if you're going to write a fantasy, I don't, I I like when they fully indulge and go full-blown fantasy instead of faux period piece. So, you know, yeah, buried treasure is a myth. Why not have a kraken? Why not have ghost curses? You know, it's it, that, for me, is a big part of the pirate fantasy, and I think the Pirates of the Caribbean film franchise basically cemented that for a lot of people for pirates. And, and, and Sea of Thieves wears a lot of that DNA on its, on its sleeves. Ew. <laughs> oh, come on. You know, you got to put it somewhere. Did I ever tell you the one about the skeleton? Yes, you have many times. Skeleton in goes into a bar, orders a beer, and a mop. This has been a File 2 production. Perico.